So I was 100% wrong. I thought I got it right, but I was 100% wrong. It was a really simple question that he asked me. And so like an idiot, I just opened my mouth and said the first answer that popped into my head. He asked me, how do you know if a tree is healthy? And so the word just came out, like a know-it-all that I am. I was sure I had the right answer, so boom, here it is. Before I tell you what my answer was, though, let me tell you I was 100% wrong. How do you know if a tree is healthy? Let that simmer for just a minute. We're going to be in Matthew 13, so if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew 13 or flip there on your phone, or you can follow along on the screens as we read. If you would, stand to your feet in honor of God's word, and just follow along as I read. <coughs> Excuse me, Matthew 13. We're just going to take a look at verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Our Father, we ask right now that as we turn our attention to your word, we want to have ears to hear what you would have for us. We confess that even when we come into this place that our ears are stopped up, our hearts are busy and our minds are cluttered, and so would you let all that settle down? Would you open our ears and open our hearts to hear what your word has to say to us? Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. How do you know if a tree is healthy? Well, in Matthew 13, the disciples are asking a very similar kind of question. And I think that as we enter into a new season here at the North Canton Chapel, marked by transition and change, we've talked about that quite a bit, I really think there's probably no better question to ask than, Jesus, am I following you the way that you've asked me to? Am I really your disciple? Is my tree healthy? Those kind of questions are never really easy to ask, are they? But I think as we find out in our text this morning, Jesus is all too happy to point us to the answer. Matthew 13, Jesus has been teaching for about a year and a half now, and his name is getting around. He's getting some notoriety. He's actually becoming quite infamous. He's attracting a crowd, and there's followers on the fringes. They're not really committed, but they're curious. The religious establishment has kind of taken an issue with this upstart carpenter's son named Jesus. They're not too happy about him. They've seen him dine with tax collectors and sinners, not our kind of people. So by Matthew 13, they've already decided to put him to death. It's just a question of when and where and how. And so Jesus has had enough. 
He's had enough of this like crowd. He's had enough of the hype. And Matthew 13 is like a hinge in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus draws a line in the sand and he says, this is what it means to be my disciple. This is what it means to follow me. In Matthew 13, he tells parables and these parables are meant to clarify what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. This first one we're going to take a look at today is called the parable of the soils, and we're going to get into it in just a minute. But before we do, a, a few words about parables. So, like, what is a parable? We don't hear that very often, um, but we actually use parables all the time in, in our culture today. Um, parables are stories that are used to create a meaningful truth in a creative way. Okay, we tell stories like this all the time. How many of you have ever read the story of the little engine that could? Right? Little blue engine, she's chugging up the hill, and what's she say? She says, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. We read that to kids to teach them the value of, like, perseverance, right? Or when I was in eighth grade, I had to memorize this poem, Casey at the Bat. You remember that one? The last line, someone's, like, rolling their eyes going, no, really? Yes, they still have to memorize it. And there's that last line that says, there's no joy in Mudville, for mighty Casey has struck out, right? Teaches about the, the pitfalls of pride, or like the Grinch who stole Christmas, right? Christmas doesn't come from a store. Christmas perhaps means a little bit more, right? It teaches this like depth, right? Here's the, here's the point of parables. They're stories that teach us a valuable lesson in a creative way. They start with what we see and move us to what we don't see. They start with something common and then they move us to a place that's uncommon, something earthly that moves to some place that is spiritual. And Jesus tells stories like this all the time. It's a very subversive way of teaching, but it's also very effective. So this particular parable, the parable of the soils, maybe you caught this. It deals with four types of soil, four hearts. There's birds and there's weeds and there's soils and there's seeds, but this entire parable can be distilled into one sentence, and it's this. Don't just hear the words of Jesus. Understand them. Because Jesus' words are not meant to impress our minds. They're also meant to open and change our hearts. So with that, enough intro. Here we go. Matthew 13, verse 1. You saw this, but we're going to get back into this context, to this setting again. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. So presumably he's sitting there teaching. And great crowds gathered around him. Now Jesus at this point was used to this. Wherever Jesus went, a crowd just sort of assembled because he's an amazing teacher and he's saying these incredible things to, to God's people, things that seem so against the grain of what they thought. So they gathered around him so that he got into a boat. So he had to pull away from the shore and he sat down. And it says, the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. Now, here's the crazy thing. In Jesus' time, this is a very typical posture for a rabbi to take. The rabbi would sit, the teacher would sit, and everybody else would stand. Aren't you thankful you're not doing that this morning, right? So Jesus pulls away from shore a little bit, and he has some things he needs to tell them. And so he launches in to this really intricate, beautiful parable. He just starts to weave this neat story. We see a few things right off the bat. We see a sower. We see a seed. We also see some soil. These are the three characters in our parable, the three characters in our story. Each of them means something, and it'll become clearer as we go, but for now, just know that the sower represents God. 
The seed represents God's words or words about the kingdom. And the soils represent four types of people, four hearts. Four types of hearts. This is what we're meant to pay attention to. Look in your Bible if you have a printed copy or if you've got it on your phone. How many of you at the top it says the parable of the sower? Right? It's got a little italic thing. It's actually not. It's really the parable about the soils because the sower we know is good. The sower is not in question here. The question is, what are the soils like? That's what we're meant to pay attention to. So with that, this first soil, we're going to call this soil or this heart, we're going to call it the hard heart. So for you blank filler types, there you go. There's your first blank, the hard heart. Take a look in verse 4. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came, and they devoured them. It's easy to picture the sower, isn't it? In Jesus' day, most of the sowing was done by hand, and this is probably wheat. So he's reaching into a bag, and he's walking down his field. It's about three-quarters of an acre in Jesus' time, about half the size of a football field, to put that into perspective. Not very big. It can be sown by hand in a day. And he's trying to make as straight a lines as possible, every step or so, reaching into his bag and flinging seed. And as he does, hopefully the seed will be spread out around the field evenly. But here's the catch. Around every field, there is a sidewalk of sorts. There's a pathway. It was a sidewalk. It was a pathway. It was a road. It was a thoroughfare. And so carts would come through the pathway. Traffic would come through. People would walk down it. There's stuff falling out, right? And so the pathway was actually a very dirty place. And seeds that ended up on the pathway were ultimately useless. Why? Because the dirt on the pathway became hard, became compacted. And these seeds did absolutely nothing. And so birds would come like crows in a Walmart parking lot to pick up what's left. And Jesus starts out this warm, fuzzy parable by saying that. When some people hear my words, it's like crows in a parking lot picking up scraps. The seed is good. It's not a question about the seed. The soil is hard. Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples who was with him in the boat, no doubt taking copious mental notes, gives us some insight. Okay, So if you're in the crowd, there's a big distance. And then later, the disciples pull Jesus in. They say, hey, could you tell us more about this? We just don't get it. And so take a look down in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. Just slide down the page a little bit. This is like the little huddle with the disciples. Here's what he says. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, that's the seed, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So ask ourselves, like, what is the cause of this seed not doing anything? It's right there in the text. Who does that? The evil one. Like, that got dark really quick. (laughs) Like, what are we supposed to do with that? Before things lighten up a little bit, here's what we need to know. There is evil in the world, and the evil one is active. You can talk about 10 tips to a better marriage. You can talk about how to get your financial picture in line. You can talk about 
10 ways to have a better self-esteem, but as soon as you mention Jesus, as soon as you start talking about him, the enemy is enraged. Because like the old song goes, he knows that his doom is sure. We're gonna get to that more next week, actually. But this is the heart, to contextualize this, this is the heart that says, when I hear something about Jesus, or when I feel Jesus pressing in on me and calling me to change something in my heart, it's like junk mail that you just put on the counter. You're like, yeah, no, I'm not, no, not important. Like, it's interesting, maybe I'll get around to looking at it, but it's not my thing right now. I got some other stuff I got to attend to. Maybe it's because you didn't like the way the words came to you. Maybe you don't like being reminded about a weakness in yourself. Like, I get that. And so you just go, um, meh. Jesus is interesting, but he's not Lord. And so over time, the enemy uses that opportunity as a way to peripheralize Jesus in your life. And when Jesus becomes peripheral to your life, he'll become a burden. And when he becomes a burden, he'll become a nuisance. And when he becomes a nuisance, eventually you'll wake up to realize that you don't care what Jesus has to say. That's the first soil. Pretty hard, right? Hard heart. That's the first soil. But there's a second soil. Take a look in verse 5. He says this, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. I think the best word to describe this kind of soil is the shallow heart. The shallow soil, the shallow heart. That sounds really harsh, right? But here's the deal. I've got this little patch of grass in my front yard. Well, it's not really grass. It's this little patch where my sidewalk meets my driveway. And I think it used to be like a flower bed, like when the previous owners lived there, but it's never looked good. It's always like spotchy and like weird stuff grows there. Like anybody have one of those spots in your, in your yard somewhere? It's like every time you see it, you go, ugh. So the other day, well, it was about three weeks ago, I said, that's it, enough. I went down to Tractor Supply. I forked over like 20 or 30 bucks for grass seed. And like, I'm doing it down there. I'm like overloading this sucker. I'm like, no, my neighbors are gonna be so proud of me. It's gonna be green. It's gonna be awesome. There's nothing else I gotta mow around. Like it's gonna come up and ah, done, right? And then I looked at the forecast. This was three weeks ago. Rained for like a week straight. So guess what happened to all that grass seed? literally in a puddle at the end of my drive. Like I, I went out there in the rain and I watched it and I was like, no, my precious grass seed, where are you going, right? Shallow soil. Because something was coming that I didn't expect. What's the point? I thought that I could get something quickly that is designed to take time. Same thing with faith, right? I didn't even read the bag on the back of the, the grass seed. Like, I did, actually. After it all went down, and then I, like, went back in to, like, read the bag and, like, to prove them wrong. Like, no, this should have not washed away. Whatever, right? Arrogance. I didn't even take the time to read about how to do this right. I'm just like, no. Shallow faith. Shallow heart. Here's the thing. You can't fake that. You cannot fake faith. You can't fast track it. You can't make it happen quick. Not real faith. Like maybe you can go over there with like some green spray paint and be like, shh, like look, right? 
But self-surrender, self-sacrifice, service, these kind of things that Jesus talks about, like these are not emotional responses to Jesus. These are deep, volitional life choices that we make by considering Jesus' teachings, and they don't come quick. And at first it seems like Jesus is being a little mean, doesn't he? Because he goes like, look, I know a lot of you love me. Like, look at you, big old crowd. Like, hey, you're here. This is great. You don't because my words are not in your heart. Like, boom, roasted. But he's actually doing them a little bit of a favor. Because look what he says. Scoot over to verse 20. As for the one who is sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And we're like, yeah, this sounds really good. Yet he has no root in himself. It's a powerful line, by the way. But endures for a little while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So what's Jesus saying? Depth. Depth gets you through tough times. How many of you know that to be true in your life? You hit something in your life and you go, like buckle up, like things are about to get crazy. And if you haven't cultivated depth at that point, it's like panic mode, right? But here's the thing about shallow faith. It can be initially very impressive, can't it? Right? Like you see someone skyrocketing in their faith. Like they're showing up at church on Sunday morning. They're signing up for stuff. They're reading devotional books. They're like Instagramming their quiet time with like the little Jesus mug. And it's like, oh, this looks so good. Like look at them. They're so spiritual. And then tough times come and it's like, right? Jesus is doing us a favor. He's saying you cannot get something quickly that is designed to take time. How many of you have heard this before, that, um, that we're living in a post-Christian culture? Have you ever heard somebody say something like that to you? Like, man, they shake their heads, they look around, and they go, oh my gosh. Like, the, I, I understand what they mean. Like, the values and practices and, and standards enjoyed by previous generations seem to have, like, been kicked to the curb, right? And so we say, oh, we live in a post-Christian culture. Like, it's not 1950 anymore. Here, I, don't, I don't think that's true. Like, here's what I think. And you can argue with me later if you'd like, but here's what I think. I don't think we live in a post-Christian culture. I think we live in a post-nominal Christian culture. It's harder and harder to get by as a Christian just doing things that look Christian. I really believe that tough times are coming. I believe it's going to get harder. I believe the only thing that's there is to let Jesus' words sink deep inside of us, not how well we can manicure the top. Because shallow faith, while initially impressive, is also very, very costly because I had to go back to Tractor Supply and buy another bag of seed. In the long run, it costs you. That's the second heart. Here's the third one, the third soil. This to me is the most tragic one, by the way. This is what I'll call the distracted heart. Take a look in verse seven. This is the distracted heart. Other seeds fell among thorns, and those thorns grew and choked them. Strong, strong words. So skip on over. Look in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves un. 
fruitful. Jesus names two things. He says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. There's a book that came out called Disruptive Witness by a guy named Alan Noble. And I want to read this quote to you because it just nailed me to the wall. Here's what he says. We are addicted to novelty. And as with most addictions, it takes a toll on our bodies and we become mentally fatigued, scrambled. In this way, the modern mind is often not prepared to engage in dialogue about personally challenging ideas, particularly ones with deep implications. He's talking about Jesus here. The space, oh golly, this is good. The space between the trivial and the crucial has shrunk. So what's he mean by all of that? We have a very crowded garden. And so when we need to think and evaluate and talk and share what Jesus is teaching us, our garden has become too crowded to the point where we can't separate crucial things in our life from trivial things in our life. And so we just sort of get by day after day. How do I know that? Because we cannot sit still, contented. We resist stillness. Have you ever sat in quiet for five minutes? Right? It's, it's almost like, I don't know what to do, right? Pull out my phone, I gotta get there, right? It's super hard to do that. Why? Because there's so many things pulling for our affection. Let's not make, a, let's not make the mistake of thinking that this like crowded soil or this distracted heart, this is not an attention thing. This is an affection thing. Not like what's in my face, but what's in my heart. Because really, the question is, like, is Jesus enough to grow in my soil? Or do I have to add something to him? Is it Jesus only or Jesus plus? Now, does God want you to have, like, family and hobbies and friends? Absolutely. But he wants you to bring them under the authority of his word and his teaching. So that they don't get choked. Third heart is a distracted heart. So before we go on to this last one, which is the good one, right? This has been really bad so far, and like, this is the most downcast message for a Mother's Day possible, really? So we're gonna get to the good one, all right? But before we get there, um, it's good to see that there are a few things in common that these first three soils share. The first that they share in common, and you can, if you're taking notes, just like slide this off to the side or something somewhere. Um, The first that they share in common is that they fell short of their potential, None of these soils produced anything. They all fell short of their design. It's an important thing for you to remember. God's plan for your life is not survival, but legacy. If God is changing your life, and if Jesus makes a difference for you, you have the responsibility to give that away to other people. We call that discipleship. Legacy, not just my own survival. Second thing they have in common is that time isn't factored into any of these little soils and their ends. Did you notice that? It could be a matter of a couple of hours. It could be a matter of days, weeks, or years. And here's what I make of that. A few decades sitting in a church doesn't make you any less susceptible to fruitlessness. That seed could be sitting there on the path for a long time. That crowd, or that, the seed could be sitting just among those thorns for a little while. And then all of a sudden, gone. Third thing, 
It's the character of the soil that matters, not the skill of the sower. Jesus assumes that the sower is good, right? Good assumption because it's God, right? He knows what he's doing. It's the character of the soil that matters. And so Jesus isn't, here's, the, here's, the, here's what people do with this parable, okay? I didn't say this in the first service, but I'll say it here, right? Here's what we do with this, is we go, oh man, that guy, hard heart. I'm not gesturing to anybody over here, right? That guy, Ryan Irvin, no. Like hard heart, man, shallow heart or distracted heart. That's what we like to do. We distract from the weeds in our own hearts by pointing to the weeds in other people's hearts. Oh gosh, And so Jesus actually intends for us to go, am I hard? Am I shallow? Am I choking out what God wants to do in my life? Am I distracted? Last little thing before we transition to the fourth soil. A word from one of your pastors here. Just, I want you to to get my heart. I wish that none of these three were even a possibility. I wish that every time the gospel was preached or every time truth was pushed into somebody's life and said, here, this is what Jesus has for you. I wish like it sat down, it sank down deep and got water and grew because these other three guys, these are stinking painful realities. Spiritual attack is a real thing. Shallow faith is a real thing. Distracted living in a distracted heart is a real thing. And it kills everything that God wants for you. But here's the good news, right? Jesus wants something different for you. And I want something different from you. And not to get too philosophical, you actually want something different for you than those things. And so if all those three are missing something, and I think they all are, if all those three soils are missing something, what are they missing? With that in mind, fourth soil. Here we go. Verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And then skip on over to verse 23. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. There it is. Not just hears the word and like gets it and goes, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, Jesus, church, I'm there. Yeah, it's good. Like no, gets it and understands it. So what is understanding? Here's the thing. Here's what that word means. Understanding is two, two things. Truth applied. Understanding is truth applied. Truth, what is Jesus saying? What is God saying in his word? What's his teaching for me? And then this last one is, what am I gonna do about it? Are there places in my life that don't line up with this? What are the implications of what Jesus is saying for my life? And they both have to be there. You can't have one. You gotta have both. Quick illustration. Totally hypothetical situation. If you're married and your spouse says, hey, Brandon, I hate when you leave your socks, your stinky man socks by the recliner and the couch and like wherever you end up taking off your shoes and you put your socks there. When you do that, it makes me feel like this. Totally hypothetical situation. And you go like, hey, thank you for telling me that. I am so glad that you felt the freedom to express your feelings. I want you to know that I now receive your thoughts and I will change. And then a week later, there's socks by the couch, by the recliner, whatever. Hypothetically speaking, did I understand Mandy? No, I heard her. 
I didn't understand. I got meaning. I got meaning. It's very clear what you mean. But my life didn't change. I didn't do anything different. I still am I'm the exact same person I was before. Nothing actually changed in my life. And so I didn't actually even understand you. And just to get personal, for years with Jesus, that was me. There's more than a decade of my life that went by where I knew Jesus' words had meaning. Like, I got it up here. I got it, but I didn't get it. Like, I understood what he was saying, but I never took, no one ever showed me, or I never took the opportunity to say, okay, what does this have to do with this? I had memorized chapter and verse, guys, like, I was a good little Christian kid out in public. It was all awesome and wonderful, but inside, like, I'm still on the throne of my life. Maybe some of you are in that same boat. And Jesus says, so what is the life that somebody has when they understand my word? What's he say? He says, you get a harvest. What's that? Like a hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold. Your life is bigger than you. Isn't that refreshing? Is anybody else like tired of being at the center of their own life? And Jesus is going, look, yeah, that's the point. Your life is bigger than you, and you want a harvest. You want a legacy. You want something that's going to outlive you. Do you know what my biggest disappointment was, or it still is, for the years that I spent not taking Jesus seriously? My biggest disappointment was the potential harvest that I have missed out on in that slice of a little over a decade. Friendships that did not bear gospel fruit, relationships that did not honor Jesus because I was on the throne of my life. And I said that to somebody once and they're like, dude, you're being a little hard on yourself, aren't you? And I'm like, no, like that's how much better it is as a disciple. You look at this thing and you go, what was I even thinking? Piddling around, frettering my time with little, old, trivial, small me at the center of my own little universe. And then Jesus comes in, wham, soft heart. And so if you're like me, you get to this point and you go, well, now what do I do? Like, Jesus, give me a soft heart. What do I do? I don't want that to be true of me. I don't want to be hard to you or shallow in you or distracted from you. Like, let your words grow deep in me. If that's you, I want to give you three practices that you can do, three practices that will cultivate a soft heart in your life. And just so you know, if you hear these going by here in a minute, and as I'm talking about them, you're like, yeah, I'm pretty good at that. You're not, okay? These are all three things that we will continually be mastered by in our life. We will never get perfect at these things, which is why I think they're very exciting because they point me to my continual need for Jesus as my Lord in my life. Here's the first one. First practice to cultivate a soft heart is community. Community. Here's what I mean. How many of you know what Creeping Charlie is? Creeping Charlie? Creeping Charlie, if you don't know what it is, it's terrible. Okay, it's this little weed. It's like a vine that grows down in your grass, and like you can't get rid of it. Like you blink, and it's doubled in size. Okay, it's terrible. So last May, I opened my front door and I like looked down and I'm like, there's a Creeping Charlie family reunion happening in my front yard. I'm going, how did you get here? Who invited you? Why are you here? Go home. I don't like you. And so I did what most of you do. I pull out my phone or whatever and I start Googling how to kill Creeping Charlie, which is a really dark thing to think about for a while. How to kill Creeping Charlie. And um, 
so I'm looking through stuff, and I'm, I'm sitting on my back porch, and Gordy and Marsha um, walk our neighborhood. They're our neighbors, and so we see them a lot. And uh, Gordy and, and Marsha were walking around one day, and he saw me sitting on my back porch, and said, hey, you know, and we start to talk. And I said, hey, like, I got a creeping Charlie in my front yard. Like, and he goes, oh. And I'm like, oh, that's like a deathly thing. What do you mean, oh? And he's like, no, that's awful. He's like, I had, I had that in my yard, and uh, no, that's terrible. I totally get it. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Here's what I did. Um, hey, can I help you with that? What can I do? Now, this is a dumb metaphor and way too simplistic, but I think that this is a very good picture for community. You've got this going on in your life. I get you. Here's what I did. Let me help you. What's going on under there? Four things. I'm just going to give them to you. First one is candor, right? We see this in true community. There's candor. It doesn't do any good to go, hey, um, nice weeds in your grass. See ya, right? No, they're weeds. They're terrible. Like, get them out of my life. You've got bad practices in your life, and they need to be gone. So be candid about those things. And then, because you're asking, like, so, like, we walk around pointing fingers at people? No. Empathy is the other side of candor. Empathy is imagining myself in somebody's shoes, saying, I've been there before, I get it, it's awful. Candor without empathy is heartless, but empathy without candor is spineless. <laughs> and so how do we balance the two? Here's another, another little key ingredient to community, your fourth thing, or the third thing. Vulnerability. Vulnerability was, here's what I did. Not, here's my opinion, but here's my story. Like, I get what you're going through. I feel it. I've been there. Here's what I did. Here's what God taught me in that season of your life. While you're wrestling with parenting and marriage and finances and all the other stuff that, that likes to junk up our lives, here's what I did, and here's how God led me through that season. I don't care what you think about my situation. I care what you know about being in my situation. And then the last one, I think, is just love. Leaning in and saying, how can I help you? And so Gordy texted me a, a, a little uh, um, a recipe for like a spray that you throw down. It's like a work-at-home recipe for a spray. Kills Creeping Charlie. Super good, right? Here's the cool thing about being in a multi-generational church. So many of you have answers to questions that so many of us are asking, right? The tensions that we live with, and this isn't just an age thing. This is an experience thing, too. Right? And if we would be a community, those four things have to be there. Candor, empathy, vulnerability, telling my story. And then lastly, just simply love. It sounds an awful lot like Paul when he talks about love. So community, that's the first thing. Life in rhythm with other people softens the ground, deepens the roots, and kills the weeds. Here's the second practice I'll give you. Second practice for cultivating a soft heart is prayer. Prayer. So, um... I updated my phone recently. Uh, well, it was a while ago. It seems like every 10 minutes I'm getting an update, but whatever. Um, I updated it recently, and it came with this new thing called screen time. How many of you have found the screen time function on your phone? Is this like wonderful, blessing, terrible little monster of a function? So for those of you who don't know what screen time is, here's what your phones are doing. Your phone's actually keeping a running tally of how you spend your time on your phone, and you can go check it. So, like, how, many, how much time do you spend on social media, like, cruising through Safari, or in my case, binge-watching fly-fishing videos on YouTube? And then I can look at my phone, I'm going, oh, my gosh. It's terribly indicting. 
But here's the point. If my phone is useful for anything it will, at anything at all, it will be to prove to me at the end of my life that my prayerlessness was not for want of free time. We all have the same amount of time. It's just a question of how we spend it. And so this idea of abiding prayer, this idea of saying like, Jesus, I just want to be with you. I want a soft heart toward the things of you. I don't want to push my agenda. I just want to abide with you. Um, this, this came to me recently. I was reading a book, and it was a, a model for prayer that was super helpful for me. I've been going through this a little while and practicing it, and so I want to kind of pay it forward and, and pass it on to you guys. Um, fourfold model for abiding prayer. Okay, I-O-U-S, I-O-U-S. It's all based on Psalm 119, I-O-U-S. And it says this, I incline my heart to you. Isn't that a great prayer to pray? Like incline my heart to you. Because like my heart is actually like leaning like this. It's inclined to be more about me, more about my stuff, more about my life or my day. And this says, God, would you incline my heart to you? Like get in here with your hands and go, like change it. Incline my heart. And then the O, open my eyes to see the wonderful things in your word. Open my eyes. I go through my life with my eyes half closed, and so do you. And so what this says is, God, would you show me the opportunities to make a difference for Jesus that are right in front of me? Would you show me the things about me that I don't want to see that are preventing me from being changed by you? Is there pride in my heart, God? Is there selfishness in my heart? Open my eyes to this, Jesus. Please show me. And then you, I owe you, you is unite my heart. Unite my heart. Because, guys, here's the thing. We are deeply divided people. Because I love Jesus, but I love a lot of other stuff too. And so do you. Right? And so what we say is, like, take this splintered affection that's like in a thousand different pieces, and God, would you unite my heart, please? And then the last one is the S. So I owe you S is satisfy me with your love. That's from Psalm 90, right? So satisfy me with your love. Here's the cool thing. When you ask God to satisfy you with himself, how eager do you think he is to do that for you? It's like a kid crawling up on his dad's lap and saying, God, would you just let me feel at home here? So this abiding prayer, here's why this is super important for us, just to be candid as a church. Here's why prayer is important. Right, we're at this spot where we talk about transition and change, and we've been talking about it a lot. Perfect time to get calculated. Perfect time to get strategic. Perfect time to get opinionated or hard or, or like, here's, I got to get positioned, right? I got to do this. Here's what I think. Here's what I, or, like, Jesus, would you please let this happen? Or, please, God, just show me. Let me be with you. We have this open-handed prayer and saying, just, just Jesus, that's all I really want. God, just you. That's all I want is I just want Jesus lifted up. It's why we sing the songs we sing, guys. Like, it's really the heart that's behind that. Just saying, God, just you. Just you. Your agenda, not mine. These are good prayers to pray. I-O-U-S. Abiding prayer. It's the second posture, the second practice for cultivating a soft heart. Last one, last practice, worship. Worship. Worship is an old English word. It's made up of two words, worth and ship, right? Worship. And so they put it together, and it's, it's worship now, right? Worship is not 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, by the way. 
if you don't know that, right? Worship is a lifestyle, right? My life is a worship experience that began the moment I confess Christ and goes until he calls me home and then gets to continue for eternity, right? So we are lifestyle worshipers, and we can spend our lives worshiping a thousand things, can't we? Dude, I could talk to you right now for 20 minutes about fly fishing. I could talk to you for 20, pick a subject. We could just worship it, right? Or I could give that real estate over completely to Jesus and say, I want my life to be about you and you only. I want to talk about how much you are worth Jesus. You are worth more than anything. We sang a song last week called Jesus is Better. And if you've been around here for a couple years, you know that's a very big song for us. Jesus is Better. I know you know how to sing it, but I don't know if you all know why we sing it. The reason that we sing it is because we're consistently pushing Jesus is better so that when you get through your week and you got something that's vying for your attention over here and you're like, I don't think I want to listen to that thing, you could take that, cap- take that thought captive to Jesus and say, no, Jesus is better because you are better. Your way is better because you are better. Your words are better because you are better, right? Better than riches? Absolutely. Better than joys and sorrows? Yes. Better than comfort? More than all of that, Jesus, you are better. You really are. And then the prayer that's attached to that, which I love, make my heart believe. Do you ever wonder why why that's in there? It feels a little awkward, right? Like, dude, no, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm here. I believe in Jesus. I've been a believer since I was seven. Yes and no. We live in this tension of, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Here's why we sin, guys, because in that moment, whenever you sin in your life, and I sin in my life, right? Whenever we do that, we stand at a fork in the road, and there's this thing over here that promises me control or satisfaction or significance or security, and it's going to come quicker, less costly, and easier Then Jesus' words over here when he just says, come to me, come to me, come to me. And we stand at that fork in the road and we go, I think that's better. That's sinning. We just chose something that's less satisfying than Jesus. That's all sin is. It's not complicated. And so worship, do you see how worship cultivates a soft heart? It says, like, I don't need these things around my garden. I don't want what they promise me because I'm too busy making much of Jesus. Worship softens the ground, deepens our roots, and chokes the weeds because there's nothing else that you really want to spend your time talking about, is there? It's just Jesus. So I was 100% wrong when I answered his question. He said, how do you know if a tree is healthy? And what I said was, fruit. (laughs) Fruit. And he says, no, that's not how you know a tree is healthy. You know a tree is healthy if it's around other trees. Other trees. Because this one tree grows up and has fruit, and that fruit has seeds, and those seeds fall and those seeds become other trees. And then over time, your life isn't just you anymore. You're surrounded by an orchard. How do you know if a tree is healthy? Other trees. Your life is more than you. And I hope that is a very freeing thing to think about. Before we close, there's, there's two types of people in the room 
Some of us, you'd, you'd, you'd fall in that first category where you go, you know, I'm a hard heart, shallow heart, or I'm a distracted heart. Or maybe you look over your shoulder and you go, maybe I was those things. But if that's you and you find yourself this morning going, yeah, I, I don't prioritize the teachings of Jesus, or I've got too much going on to really hear what Jesus has for me, or I've been living in this shallow faith for a while and I, I don't know what to do, here's my word for you. Give up. Jesus is chasing you and he wants you and he will win. <laughs> Jesus loves you and he wants you to go, here, take my life, let it be, let it be yours. I don't want to have a life that's all about me anymore. Best kind of conversion prayer you can pray is just, here, Jesus, I'm done, take it. And then a second group where you're a soft heart and you're going, man, I feel like I'm soft. I feel like I'm really fertile. Like, Jesus, could you, could you keep putting your seed and let me grow? I have, I have things that I want to do in my life. And so my word for you is this, just hang on. I think the next five weeks are going to be very important as we continue to define what a disciple looks like. Because Jesus ain't done. That's the cool thing, right? Lest you're home in heaven, he's not done with you. He's got tons more for you that will outlive your life. Let's pray. Father God, we declare that you are a good sower. You know what you're doing. You put seed where it needs to go. And so our hearts right now, God, we say, would you help us to be soft toward your teachings? Would you open our hearts, open our ears, and open our minds to teach us, God, we want to hear from you. Enthrall us with who you are and let everything else just be noised, drowned out, static. Let us hear from you. God, there is so much more that you want to do in our lives individually, in our families, and in this church. God, you have your way here, please, would you, Jesus? When we look back at everything that you have done, God, you have been so faithful. You've been so good. Would you please continue to do that, Father, we beg you. Take our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.